We've Been Around the Block is a podcast coming to you from the heart of the KZN Midlands. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Anthony Javi, and today's special guest is Grant Pringle. Welcome, Grant. Thank you, Ant. Um, nice to be back. Yes, uh, you are a repeat offender. Very welcome back. So much has happened in the last two months since you were on the podcast. To begin with, it looks like we have developed some sort of a following, um, and I really thought that the show would be very niche, but it looks like we've got listeners from actually all over the world. So we have listeners from Kingston, Ontario, from Kampala in Uganda, from Hanoi, from Harry Smith, from Bethlehem, Lichtenberg, Kronstadt, Kuruman, you name it. So from the breadbasket in South Africa, we have quite a healthy listenership. One of the listeners that intrigued me the most was we've had a listener, and I will name this person Francois, a listener from Ile de France, who's picked up every single show that we've had. Bonjour, Francois. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you enjoyed the show, Francois. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was thinking that perhaps we need to have some sort of competition for people who listen to 10 consecutive shows. Perhaps we can put up a, a prize to spend the day in the backseat of a product agronomist's pickup. Sure, I, I think spending the day in the in the back seat would be would be quite bland. We'd have to take them into the field and and show show them some products in the field rather than having to sit on the back seat the whole day. And right, yes, and obviously second prize would be two days. Two days, <laughs> two days in the back seat of a, a product to be honest. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, one of the other things that's happened was um, when we last had a show. The crops were all midway through the season and it was looking like it was going to turn out to be a really good season. Two months down the road now, and what is your take on, on how the season has developed? Yeah, and so as you say, when we when we last spoke, it was um, sort of the end of Feb, and the crops were really shaping up to perform really well. And now, yeah, we, we, we're now well into the harvest, particularly of the soybeans, um, and I think across the board, um, we we really really chuffed with the results that are coming through. I think there, there are farmers out there who've who are doing their personal bests on soybean farm averages right across the country. So um, the soy yields are are looking very very positive. Great. So um, we'll take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will discuss what is driving the yields that farmers are picking up in the fields at the moment. So don't go away. Today's episode is sponsored by Panar Seed. One of Panar's core values is environmental stewardship. So what does this mean? Well, it means that they are not simply placing products in the market. They are conscious of how it'll affect the environment for generations to come. It is about the safe and responsible use of traded products and all the soybean varieties that we use are are traded. It is about developing products in a sustainable way. It is also about making sure that we will still be able to feed our hungry planet in 50 to 100 years time from now. So the corporate color is green and I don't believe this is by chance. Their belief in environmental stewardship means that the customer ultimately always has a green choice. 
Right, back to driving yields. So while we're on the topic of driving, I figured that I'd ask you um, a quick question. So is it Land Cruiser or Land Rover? It's definitely, definitely Land Cruiser. (laughs) And my son will second me on that one. Okay, so for you, it's all about the destination. And not the journey at all. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, I can see you worried about not getting to the destination, but... Yeah, so, so we're going to talk about driving yields. We are going to look at what is driving yields and we will investigate the current destination to use the Land Cruiser analogy. And we will analyze the journey that we've had to get to this point. Tell us a little bit about what the experience has been in this past season in terms of yield. So Ant, I think maybe one needs to just take a step back and, and look at the season as a whole. And you know, the whole summer was was actually relatively wet, particularly early season. There was, in places, there was water logging and um, some of the crops actually experienced, you know, water damage due to water logging situations. And it seems that the soybeans handled those really wet conditions a lot better than any of the other summer crops. So the yeah, maize dry, and the dry beans. Dry beans in particular. Really mm. battled the dry beans, as you say, in particular. But also, maize didn't perform as well. You know, it went yellow a lot quicker and and showed that stress a lot worse. The soybeans seemed to to roll with that tough conditions much better. And then, you know, through the season, we, we've had very solid rain all the way through. And particularly at the end, that it often happens that you have a, a wet start and then things after Christmas things dry off and um, into February it gets hot, hot and dry again. Um, fortunately, this year the, the rains pushed through, and really that played into the soybean, the so- soybean farmers' hands this year. That nice wet second half of the summer allowed those beans to really perform and fill that potential that they had got earlier in the season. So, I think the season was a, a very strong driver for the the good yields that we're seeing coming through. Yeah, and. I mean, and, it, and- the other thing is that you do want the wet conditions, but you don't want it during harvest. Correct. Yeah. No, there's, uh, there have been chaps pulling their, their combine harvesters, you know, with, with the biggest tractors they can find and then pulling that tractor with smaller tractors because everything is now sticking <laughs> up to its axles. Yeah. Uh, but yes, you and then bringing out the Land Rover, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah, um, so, you know, these... Big yields that um, we're speaking of, and I, th- I think they've been across the board and across a range of, of cultivars as well. So certainly from the Panos stable, we've seen some some big yields on Pan 1532 in the in the Eastern Cape down near Yugi, going over, over six tons. Hoopstadt in the in the Free State 1664 between six and seven tons, which is absolutely amazing yields. Um, you know, and, and then. When, when I chatted to our, our production officers at Panar Corteva, they are absolutely blown away with the performance of the entire range in the production areas in the Bergville-Winterton area in KZN. So it's been basically countrywide that we've seen these these really strong yields. Mm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Uh, 67 tons, that's, that's quite something, isn't it? No, I think that's... Yeah, we'll we'll probably chat about it again a bit later, but it's sort of the holy grail to get to that those types of, of yield level. So things really have progressed um, in time, and perhaps it's not been overly obvious based on the national yield average, because actually the seasonal effect 
is so large that you don't normally see how things have progressed. Um, and you only see this after a many number of years. So you really see how things have progressed when you look at the top edge, not at the not at the at mean. The average, yeah. yeah. So you look at how things have developed in terms of the the highest yields and. And one of the things that I always think of is my old professor, John Lee, had written this guideline and was probably around about uh, 1982, 83, somewhere around there. And he'd written this guideline on soybean production. And it was a guideline on how to reach the mythical target of three tons per hectare. And we are now... Uh, almost 40 years down the road. And, and actually, if we had to write the same guideline now, we would be looking at a guideline for seven tons per hectare. That's right. So, yeah, if you think of it, it's a ton every 10 years. Yeah, that's um, 100 kgs a year uh, has been the progress. And not all of that is cultivar, right? Um, a, sure. a fairly large percentage, probably at least half, is, is cultivar-derived. But there have been many other things that, that have contributed towards raising the yield level to, to the extent that we see nowadays. And, and one of those things has been weed control. So if you think of a conventional weed control 20 years ago, things have really moved quite nicely with, with glyphosate control. And, and we are experiencing very little competition from weeds. Yeah, I know. You can keep your, keep your crops clean from the word go and, yeah, the physical cultivation practices that were necessary, particularly before glyphosate um, was in wide use, you know, that disturbing the soil always has an impact on the crop in the row. Those You shave some roots off and, and it just sets the sets the story back. So you take away the weed pressure, but you do a little bit of damage to the crop as you go through. Yeah, and also it, it's it's been quite nice to have really good weed control in part of your rotation because the, the other thing that's that's happened is rotation has become very widespread. Yeah, so the rotation between maize and soybeans, certainly in the eastern parts of, of the, the maize production areas, is very much a established practice. You know, you at least one year in three is, is soybeans. You know, there's some guys that are on that 50-50 split but at least one year every third or at worst fourth year, there will be soybeans coming through the rotation. So that has made a huge difference. Yeah, and actually, if you look at it, rotation has even made its way into the into the west of our country where, where in the past the rotation was between white and yellow maize. Correct. You know, people now understand the need for rotation and perhaps it's more of, of an issue with maize than it is with soybeans. So they've seen the benefits of rotating in maize. And, and actually, what you don't understand is that rotation also has a benefit for soil. The, ro- the benefit or the benefit of rotation works both ways. So the maize benefits when it's planted after soybeans, and soybeans likewise will benefit after being planted on, on, on a maize or even a sorghum field where, where there's that grass rotation. Right. Um, and that then brings me on to reduced tillage, which has become more widespread in the last 20, 30 years. And part of that has been assisted by glyphosate tolerance in um, soybeans and the fact that, that it's so much easier to, to rotate without herbicides which have long residuals. Yes, yeah, so your, your herbicides 
in your maize now you're able to use products that are, are much more gentle on broadleaf crops so you're, you don't have that residual action on your follow-up crop that's broadleaf so definitely and, and then you're also getting very good weed control in your soybeans so you know you're keeping your fields clean going into your next rotation yeah and crop protection has moved on you know so it's reasonably widespread the use of fungicides at least in soybeans whereas 20 30 years ago uh, this was not the case correct yeah so as we discussed with the with the rust um, ep- episode previously you know that fungicide spray that you put down maybe targeting rust in particular is giving you a bit of broad spectrum cover to other weak pathogens that that may be present and you know that crop protection action is now giving you a little bit of bump in in yield as well yeah 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 and so one of the other things is cultivar Um, there's been massive changes in cultivars in the last um, well it's it's ongoing right sure Um, and, and if we just think of the comparison, it really is big. And we look at current productions and you just see that cultivar has made a, a massive difference. To so when that perfect season comes along, the varieties have that genetic potential in them to be able to deliver those high top-end yields. You know, you, you're not governed by the germplasm that you're using. It's, it's more when the season presents, the cultivars are able now to take full advantage of that good con- conditions and respond with much higher yields. Yeah, and your examples that you were quoting there were from a varied number of cultivars across a fairly wide range of maturities. Yes, yeah, so I think that plays quite strongly to the good season. So every growth class had optimal opportunity to to deliver a, a good yield. But I think if, if we look critically at it, the cultivars that are slightly longer growth classes in this particular season have given those really high end yields. Yeah, I'm sure you'll you'll have some input around that, but it just seems that with the extra growing season that they have available at that to them, they're able to pack on just a little bit more yield than a, an early maturity class cultivar. Yeah, yeah. And then if we had to move on to equipment, so I think one of the things that has been progressing steadily over the last couple of years is precision equipment. And to begin with, we start with the planting equipment where it's not just about getting a population of 380,000 plants per hectare, but the plants within the row are spaced evenly and that makes quite a big difference i think it's not just the general population you're not just dribbling seed into a furrow you know it's each seed is precisely placed the right depth and evenly spaced from its neighbor every plant has an equal chance to contribute towards yield yeah and so you limiting the interplant competition especially Mm -hmm. early on you know if you get those two pips close together and, and the ones coming up a day and a half before its its neighbour. That later merger is, is always on the back foot. And, it's it's and just going to be a weed in your crop. Yeah. It's just going to be a Land Rover on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the final thing which struck me so clearly this season is the combine harvesting and the technology that, that has gone with the combine. So most of the combines are fitted with yield monitors. So it looks like a nice to have, but generally farmers have always had the ability to measure yields, but probably not the ability to look within a field and see, well, this part of the field is, is doing well and this part is not. And with these yield monitors, we actually are able to see this and attend to that issue. You can ask the question, why is this part of the field giving me four and a half tons 
and this part only two. And, and you can go back and peg those particular spots on the ground and investigate and, and find out, you know, and what the differences are and you can and make some it. corrections. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So that for me has been quite a big improvement in terms of technology. Yeah, so I think that whole precision agriculture aspect of things, you know, with a simpler tool, well, I'm calling it simple, but a relatively widely used tool such as a, a yield monitor can offer you a huge amount of information about your field potentials. You know, you, you can start to create those yield maps and see where your good patches and your bad patches are and, and start addressing those bad patches that are pulling your field average down dramatically. Because as you'll know, you don't need a very big area of low-yielding land in, in your field to dramatically reduce the field average. Yeah, and so if you extend this to the national average, the national average probably looks like it's going to trickle over two tonnes per hectare for, for this coming season. I would be surprised if it doesn't, yeah. Yeah, and so you think, well, how can we improve the national average? And it's probably not by, by improving the leading edge. So it's more about reducing the number of hectares which fail or the number of hectares which are low yielding. And yes. I think that these yield monitors on the combines is the start of actually attacking the, the national average and improving it dramatically. No, I think you're, you're definitely onto something there. And I think the trick now is to encourage farmers to get, get out there and investigate those bad patches and, and see exactly what's going on. And if there's anything that you can address physically or chemically in those soils, make the changes to, to drive your yields up. Right, and then the, the last aspect that we really need to touch on is, is fertilisation. In my dealings with, with farmers, I've come across the theory that a, a soybean must, must fend for itself. Um, it's, it's a rotation crop, and it's largely left to, to its own devices in terms of fertility. To scavenge. To scavenge, and it's very good at that. It's, an, it's got a very efficient root system, and the deep taproot, it penetrates the soil, and it's an efficient scavenger, so it can thrive or do very well. Under, under conditions of limited input, so long as there's um, a reasonable store or the threshold levels in the soil are there. Yeah, we are in the business of agriculture and not mining. Correct. So really we have to return what we take out. Yeah, and so with the big yields that I'm hoping everyone is, is going to experience with their soybeans this year, you know, generally, as you say, the national average is 1.8 on the, on the long term, 1.8 tonnes a hectare. Um, some of these numbers that we threw out in the five to seven ton range, obviously, you know, that's at the top end. But I think everybody's average is a bit higher this year. And I think several farmers are, are going to run 2.5 to three tons a hectare on, on, on their soybeans this year. And what you need to bear in mind is that for every ton of soybeans that you, you harvest, you're taking off 20 to 25 kilograms of potassium per ton. So if, if you just ratchet that up to, th to three tons, that's 60 to 75 kgs of potassium out of your fields. and You can double that if you've taken off six tons, right? Exactly. Mm. So it, it's, a, it's a straight line sum. And just, yeah, if you're, if you're running close to your thresholds in terms of your potassium levels in your, in your soil test, just bear in mind that has been taken off. And before you go and buy a Land Cruiser with, with all the profits from the soybeans, Think, think about some potassium fertility for your follow-up crop for next season. You know, if you're going to go and plant maize there, maize is maybe not as effective at scavenging for nutrients as a soybean. 
And if, as I say, if your thresholds are a bit lower or around your, if your levels are at threshold level for potassium, you know, the, the big crop that you've taken off with your beans this year has mined some of that potassium out. And you could potentially be staring at a deficit for your maize crop in the in the 2021-22 season. So just bear that in mind and give it some thought. And I think it's probably a, a good idea to get a soil test done on those lands and just make sure you're not going to run out of, of nutrition for your coming crop. Right. So I, I think we should wrap up our discussion for the day. It's been wonderful chatting to you, Grant. And until next time, it's been a gas. Take care. 